I just finished the other day rereading one of my favorite books that I've ever read. It's called Lord of the World, and it's by Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson. It was written all the way back in 1907, and Monsignor Benson is an interesting character. He's written a lot of great books. He was an Anglican priest and converted to the Catholic Church and continued to write quite a bit. And this Lord of the World, like I said, 1907 is when he wrote it. And basically it's an apocalyptic novel, kind of about just the end of the world, the rise of the Antichrist, the persecution of the church. And at the time, remember 1907, where he saw things going was kind of the way that he sort of predicted things 100 years later. Well, we're here 112 years later. So it's interesting to see the way that he unfolded history. And just one example of that is in the book, kind of early on, there's this big accident. Um, with, he calls these things velours. I mean, this is before air traffic is very common. But there's this big crash. All these people are wounded, and in come the euthanasia squads to start just taking people out. And there's also these hospitals that are euthanasia hospitals that people can just check into and their families not allowed by law to check up on them. They can just sneak away. And it's interesting to read something like that when just this past week a news story came out of Canada that, that 1% of deaths in Canada last year came from euthanasia. I mean, it's amazing just to see how he sort of unfolded that, and in some ways, it's rather terrifying. And even in the way that he depicts the Antichrist and sort of like gathering all of these nations together and the Pope going into hiding and it being down to just the Pope and 12 Cardinals and all, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic book. Uh, pope Francis quotes it all the time. But an interesting thing about that book is that it got a lot of criticism all the way back 112 years ago because he was just so negative, you know, and his outlook on the future, just, you know, why are you looking at things so depressively? And so what Monsignor Benson did a couple years later in 1911, wrote another book. And this one he called Dawn of All. All right, and basically the storyline there is kind of the opposite of Lord of the World. In that one, he sets it in the future once again, but instead of like the rise of the Antichrist and the persecution of the church and society crumbling apart, in this one, everything goes right. Like the whole world is converted to Catholicism, everybody comes together, you know, the realms of theology and philosophy and science and technology, everybody works together and it's like this utopia. Now I'll be honest with you, I think I've reread Lord of the World now, I think this is my fourth time. I've never been able to finish Dawn of All. Um, I've started it and tried to get into it, but frankly, it's kind of boring. And, I, and it's a weird sort of principle. And I even saw it yesterday when I was just checking my facts on Google. I typed in Lord of the World, all sorts of stuff about it, right? It tells you all about it. There's you know, a whole like, Wikipedia page on the book and all this sort of stuff. Dawn of All, you got to go searching. It's really kind of hard to find out much about it. It's like this sort of principle that's out there that we know how to depict the struggle. We know how to show that things are difficult. We know what it's like to bear the cross, but the end of it all, the sort of grasping at that lasting joy, we're not very good at depicting that. 
There's tons of examples, and there's one more I want to share with you. We could go on with this forever. But the one in particular I think of is I really like the book uh, Lord of the Rings. I'm on this like Lord book uh, kick right now. But like you have the three books of Lord of the Rings, and Peter Jackson did his big epic movies. A couple, oh gosh, it's a long time ago now, like 15 years ago. They're really good movies, right? And it's like 10 hours of all of the, you know, just the struggle and the difficulty and traveling to Mount Doom and, you know, the danger and all of it. And it's fascinating and it gets your attention. But frankly, there's one scene that kind of annoys me because it's so just corny. And it's at the very end when basically everything has happened. I mean, they've done all of their hard work. And Frodo, after going through all that he went through, is kind of like waking up in bed, like gradually healing, and in come his other two hobbit friends, Merry and Pippin, and they're so excited together and they're jumping on the bed. And it's like, really? <laughs> like, after you've like defeated evil and all of this, the grand symbol of joy is three little guys jumping on a bed. And it's just, it's just kind of this corny up and down sort of a thing. Now, I'm not like criticizing Peter Jackson or any of that, but it's interesting how we're not as good at depicting peace and joy and things really lasting. One final thing, since yesterday was May the 4th and it's like Star Wars Day, right, with May the 4th be with you. Um, you know, think about this. So at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi, you've got the Ewok party and everybody's kind of happy. If all those movies was, was hanging out with the Ewoks, it wouldn't be as popular as it is. We don't like just the depiction of the party. And so, so to speak, when you look at Catholic art, it's kind of the same way. Look, we've got the stations of the cross all around us. We depict the crucifixion and the passion and all of those things so beautifully. There are not as many pictures of the resurrection. It's a hard thing to put into words, to put into painting, to put into music. I mean, we get about as close, I think, as you can get to a beautiful image of that in our own image of the sacred heart. But even there, look at Jesus' hands. There's the wounds. We know that it's not just kicking back and eating bonbons and watching TV, right? We know that there's so much more than just kind of this ending. Now, we can see it all around us now as we continue on in our Easter celebration. Look at the difference in the sanctuary just compared to two weeks ago on Easter Sunday morning. I mean, we still have a lot of flowers, but there's a lot fewer flowers now. Things start to fade out with time. And I'll tell you, one of my greatest sadnesses as we move on is we had to take the dogwood trees out. I mean, we're so late in the season, you know, that the blooming has already happened. Apparently the bugs were starting to gather and we had to take them out. I mean, it's so great when they're here. I feel like I'm celebrating mass in a garden. But yet, the joy and the excitement of the candles and the bursting alleluias and the incense and everything else, it starts to fade. We don't just get to sit in the resurrection glory, in the Easter joy, it starts to go away. And I'm sure, like, like me, I'm sure you're the same way, experience in your own life too, right? I mean, we have the glories in a way of Lent, which is easy to complain about when you're giving things up and taking things on. But now that we're like three weeks away from that, of the special time dedicated to, say, a daily rosary, more daily masses, of giving things up this year, I gave up TV. I've gotten into the show Person of Interest. I didn't watch it for a long time. Now I've watched too many in the last couple of weeks. Am I much, much happier? 
not really. I mean, you know, it's funny how we move into the glories of the season, but we don't get to just hold on to it, do we? I mean, life is not like an infomercial. We don't get to just set it and forget it, and then that's the end, right? Now, I'm not giving you all of this to depress you. In fact, far from it, really. Because I think sometimes when we look at all of this, when we look at the picture of the glory and the joy, it's like we want to think, well, that's the end. We're all finished. But that's not the way that it is. Our life continues on, and we have to continue to bear our cross, to strive on towards the resurrection. I mean, look at the gospel for today. After everything that Jesus went through, after all of the passion, after all of that difficulty, after he dies on the cross, what's the grand conclusion of the Gospel of John in the last chapter today? Breakfast on the seashore and Jesus and Peter talking about love. I mean, the thing is, is we gradually delve more and more into this. And in no way am I putting down that Gospel. There's beauty there. There's an amazing depth to that that... I mean, we just have to continue to explore for the rest of our life. But notice, it ends today with uh, Jesus talking about something that signifies the death that Peter's going to go through. The first reading even has the apostles being mistreated on behalf of the name of Jesus Christ. But what do they do? They rejoice. We know that we don't get to this point in this life where everything just finishes out, that we're done, we kick up our chairs, or kick up our feet, check, we're finished. No, we have to keep striving on towards the prize, towards the end goal, which ultimately is heaven. Now, I will tell you, this week, and just kind of like having our homily prep meeting, I meet once a week with Michael Becker, where he tells me how I did on the last homily. I get a little bit of a grade. It's nice. Tell me when I say, um, and you know, too many times. Things like that. It's nice to get the feedback. But then, talking about the next week. And we were talking about all of this, and his suggestion was, he goes, you know what you need to do is give a 40-minute homily. Don't gasp. I'm not going to keep going. But he said, give a 40-minute homily that you break up into two parts. Because... As we talk about the difficulties, and we all experience it, we're not finished yet, right? We're in the Easter season, it's joyful, but I know that after the deacon says, go in peace, you go back out there to a world that is not perfectly peaceful. We have struggles, we have difficulties, how do we keep striving? And this is what he said, he said, okay, lay out the difficulties, that's fine, but what is the prize we're striving for? What is heaven? What is that ultimate glory we're going for? Because ultimately, we talk about the struggles a lot, but how often do we actually talk about what heaven really is? And that'll be the second part of the homily that I'm not going to give today, because eventually you want to go to breakfast. But in about two weeks, because next week our wonderful deacon will give the homily, but in two weeks, I'm going to preach about what the prize is. What are we striving for? What is that ultimate love, that ultimate joy, that completion, that fulfillment of all desire that we're on the way to? And notice one other thing in the gospel today in closing. The disciples don't even recognize Jesus at first. I mean, even in the words of the gospel, they don't completely write down what it is that the risen Jesus even looks like. They recognize him in the breaking of the bread. They know him in his discussion about love. They know that he's there and calling them to cast out on the right side. But still, what is it that we're ultimately striving toward? Why is it that we're not totally fulfilled right now? 
What is it that keeps us going and bearing that cross? Ultimately, it's the love of God, and it's that that we'll continue talking about two weeks from today. Praise be Jesus Christ.